forget about it. Well, it's Monday morning here on the Radio Tab Breakfast Show and being a Monday, we always like to finish out the show with the Courier Mail's Chief Sports Writer in Robert Crash Craddock. Crash, good morning. Good morning, lads, and hasn't it been a, a weekend of uh, controversy and colour? It's uh, terrific uh, sport, just, uh, just keep the gift that keeps on giving. Well, it just never stops, does it, Crash? There's always something, there's always <laughs> winners and losers and there's always uh, contention and, and everything about sport. That's why we love it. Now, you always give us your underrated and overrated from the weekend of sport. Give us your underrated first up. Underrated is the, um, you know, collective uh, gift that a good master and a good partner can give a young jockey. And I just think I'm watching Kyle Wilson-Taylor very closely, the champion young apprentice, because... He, uh, we've had our eye on him since he was with Lindsay Hatch in Toowoomba, who did such a nice job with him. But he grew up rough when he was a young lad. He was there was times when the police would arrive at his home and he'd have to be evicted when he was a young lad. It wasn't his fault, and he had all sorts of challenges. And I, my mates in Toowoomba kept on saying this guy could go one way or the other. Well, he's now down in Brisbane with Kelly Schweder, his master, who's done such a nice job with him, and also Angela Jones, his, the fellow apprentice who's now his partner. And I'm seeing good things ahead of him. It's great. He's a good story at the moment, and I so hope, you know, he, uh, the story keeps rising because he could have a beautiful couple of decades as a top jockey, Kyle Wilson-Taylor. And also underrated... Crash, just, just, just on that, Crash, you know what, there's a... Something that you hear these young jockeys talk about when they talk about yep. you know, their master, which is a very much an old term, they still refer to them as as Mister. I heard yeah. Kyle recently just refer to Lindsay as Mister Hatch, and I I think that shows great respect for for those that are looking after them. Oh, look, it, it does, and they're so important. And uh, you know, it was just you know, he was when he was up in Toowoomba, you know, he was, you know, fighting old demons, but he was good and he was great. Then he was uh, slipping off the rails a bit. And I just think to come down here and to read Ben Dory's excellent story on him the other day, and he and Angela are so happy they'll be riding against each other for a lot of the times now in Brisbane. Of course, she's now uh, indentured to Tony Gollan. So, but this racing has beautiful stories of triumph over setbacks and challenges and and he could be one you know it's a long journey ahead and there's plenty of challenges but but he's uh it's a good start and um just the other underrated was craig mccray the former brisbane lion who was always in the background when he was in those three premierships with the lions wasn't he uh, you know, sort of the, the small forward and he was behind the likes of Simon Black and Ackermanis and Michael Voss. But to coach Collingwood in his first year there at, and 10 wins in a row, he's quite extraordinary. And he's brought a, a sense of optimism and sort of uh, a fresh style to the club. It's wonderful. As much as we don't like Collingwood, it's just a joy to see him triumph in his, in his first year with the club. He seems unflappable too, uh, Crash. And in most of those 10 wins in a row, they probably were in a position where they could have lost nearly all of them. Yeah, and that's how you sense a club with spirit, Jared. You're right. Mm. How many wins have they had of six points or less? It's been extraordinary. They could I think, be I think nine of those wins, nine of the 10, have been by eight points or less. Wow, wow. I mean, imagine if even half of them had gone the other way. Well, they're out of contention. I mean, they're... they're yeah. They're having a, an average season. 
for the sake of about six goals. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it, how fickle life can be. Mm. But that builds fibre in a club. This this team feels they can win from anywhere, and it's a great thing. And I was watching them sing the team's song over the last couple of weeks in the dressing room, and the the, the, the passion that Nathan Buckley couldn't quite instil in them, and he, I know he had a lot of distractions um, while he was there, but there's a unity there and a sense of purpose. And he's, of course, you know, the Dacos boys have arrived, you know, like the Knights in Shining Arpa, just at the perfect time for him. But he, he's doing a really good job. Crash, so they are your underrated and overrated. No, sorry, that's just your, your, your underrated. What about your overrated? Overrated is... Uh, I, I did a story on the weekend about Ash Barty's secret wedding... And, and I just, I almost just, just felt the warmth of it. <laughs> just a small group of about 30 people uh, going to a secret destination, no cameras. It was, it was actually a week before it, the news leaked out. And I thought, big, glitzy celebrity weddings are overrated. You know when there's 170 guests and everyone's there and, and you know, the cameras are snapping... They apparently had the best time, the Barties, and it was everything that Ash wanted. Uh, her and Gary, who'd been going out for seven years, finally tying the knot. And I thought, just the intimacy of the occasion is priceless in itself. To, to be one of the highest profile sportswomen in the world and somehow pull off a secret wedding, they are good. They are, you know, incredibly tight outfit, and, uh, you know, the, it's a sign of respect for her that everyone kept quiet about it. Pat Rafter, Alicia Mollock, uh, Casey I was going to ask you about that. It always gets out, but this one didn't. Incredible, incredible. It, mm. it, they can keep a secret like no others. And uh, you think if there was people there you know, serving champagne, uh, yeah. cooking entrees and all that, what about them? They never, they never blabbed. It, it's, uh, it's incredible. But she's uh, certainly found true happiness, Ash. And uh, I... Still don't think we'll see her return to the tennis circuit. Plenty do, but I, I don't. I, I think she's she's cut don't. the cord, enjoying life, went to the British Open, and loving taking her dogs for a walk on sunset at Brookwater. Life couldn't be much better, Jared. Crash, uh, uh, we saw controversy in the NRL, well, starting from last week with, with the, that game in Townsville. Then we had... Kevin Proctor sacked. We, we, we had that news breaking when you were on the show with us last week. Then later in the day, it was Manly. Had a couple of big-name players, one sent off in Nathan Cleary. Now, Pat Carrigan to front judiciary Tuesday night without charge. It looks as though he could be spending some time on the sidelines. It does. It, it looks... Uh, I mean, just the fact that Jackson Hastings has a broken... Uh, leg and he's out for three months as a result of that tackle. People say that the injury should not be taken into account, but that's fantasy land stuff. It just is. It just is. It's just part of the equation because it was part of the tackle and it's specifically it's a tackle. They deem so dangerous, Paul, because the tackle player is so vulnerable. Uh, he's wrestled to the ground. The bottoms of his legs are exposed the player lands flat on him and a bone snaps. Like, it's... I don't believe there was any intent at all to hurt there from Pat, and I've certainly seen worse-looking tackles than that get only a week or two over the over the past year. 
but the damage inflicted, I think, will count against him. And look, he may get four weeks if they argue well. And I know they're getting all the vision of previous hip drop tackles and that they're hoping to get away with maybe a week or two. Uh, and, you know, they may, may find a loophole in the system, but it doesn't look good, Paul, I have to say. And, um, well, what did you make of the, uh, the Broncos' loss? Yeah, it, 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 it was revealing, Jared. I think it exposed them as being uh, not elite, not, not truly elite in that, in that absolute upper echelon. They, uh, they were out-hustled and out-muscled and there was no excuse. You know, West were up for the contest all the way. They were terrific, the Tigers. They really mm. were. So um, I just think that the Brisbane would you a bad game. Let's concede that. They'd, they'd been in great winning form over the past two months. And this was probably their worst game in two months. But it's a long season, you know. And and, and they, uh, they just weren't quite there. Uh, I thought West handled Adam Reynolds' kicking game very well. They sort of hustled him and they, they, they tried to sort of make him kick sooner than he wanted to. And, uh, you know, that was something other clubs will probably learn from. You know what I think has changed the Broncos, and that's Kevy Walters. And I think his presser after a loss the other night crash, whenever they've had a loss since Kevy's been there at the helm, he's always looked as a man under extreme pressure. Whereas last night... He resembled, I thought, Trent Robinson and Craig Bellamy. Yeah, we had a bad game. We were outplayed by the West Tigers, but we're not worrying about it. We know what's working for us. We'll get back to work come Monday morning. Yeah, there is that bankability about this team, Paul. You're right. I, I did think the same thing. Um, one, uh, one little applaud that I'll give, Kev. I love the way he never whinges about referees. Uh, now, there wasn't much to whinge about the other night. They were just outplayed, but... I always reckon it's a corrosive force on a team when a coach starts whinging about referees, and plenty do. That's a strong point of him. And you're right. I think that this team has solidified to the point they can absorb of lost, and it's not the end of the world. Exactly. They, he knows they're on an upward trajectory. they got Herbie Farnworth coming back for the finals, which should be terrific for them. So they, um, you know, they're... they're, they're, they're as you say, last season, the season before, there was just times when Kev or Anthony Seabold were just clueless after a loss because it showed no spirit. Was they showed spirit the other night? They were just outdone. And interesting day one for Tony Mestroff at Manly today. Uh, it wouldn't mind being in a fly on the wall in the corridors there after what we've seen last week. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're trying to get the seven rebel players who didn't want to wear the pride jerseys who have still yet to talk publicly meeting with club officials and it's just interesting though that the meeting did not include members of the coaching staff and so there's a fracture right there isn't there so mm. they've got plenty of work to do I, I must admit I really I, I love the way Manly have worn these pride jerseys because I just think this is the way life and society is going where we have to be more inclusive. My only slight disappointment was learning that it was the Jersey Company that sold the idea to Manly and, and around the place. I mean, it would have been a little bit more, oh, let's just say sincere, Paul, if it hadn't been Manly's idea and said, can you, can you design one of these for us? We feel really strongly about it. Whereas, you know, it, it just... It, it, it took something away from it when I found out it was the Jersey Company who said, hey, have you tried this idea? Well, I believe four of the clubs 
use that particular jersey sponsor, uh, jersey manufacturer. I can't remember the name of them off the top of my head. Yep. But I know they approached two clubs and Manly was the one that went with it. Yeah, and, and, and good on them for doing it and they've embraced it and they're going to keep it. But uh, I just when I see that commercial side of things entering into a moral argument, it just just leaves you a little bit lukewarm, that's all. And, and maybe, hey, the jersey manufacturer's uh, um, intention was, was purely moral. They think, oh, we won't sell many of these, we just want to make a point. But it should be Manly's decision, not theirs. And the Cowboys had a big win? Do you know what? Aren't they something this year, the Cows? I mean... Mm. There's so much can be learned from the Cowboys this year. Just the way they've brought so many of these players through on long-term projects like, you know, Ruben Cotter and players like that who's been with them for a decade. Now, I know he's been injured, but... Um, and they've sprinkled just a little bit of stardust with the likes of Chad Townsend and Tom Dearden. They've bought well... But it's all built on a pretty solid foundation. Guys like Tal Malolo, who's been there for ages. And, and, and you know, they, uh, Kyle Felt and all these guys, getting them fit, spring, replacing guys who just, your you soft spot, shoring them up with a couple of playmakers who came at good value. Chad Townsend, honestly, for about 700000 a year. He's worth that and more the way he's played. Completely revitalised the club. So... Uh, and I, but, but fitness, they've got them fit. It's great. And Crash, they're, uh, they're developing state of origin players now. How good yeah. is that? And how important is it for Queensland? Well, exactly. And Cooper Cronk said that. He said that he said the secret star of Queensland state of origin success was Todd Payton, you know, did and coming in in the last game, you know, Cotter in the first game. The form, the fitness of Valentine Holmes was terrific in Game 1 and Game 3. You know, these players have got an electric edge about them and it's just it's just wonderful. And, and had there been no Cowboys revival this year, Queensland does not win the origin. That's categorical. Crash, you're part of the media and you have been for many, many years. We're seeing Australia have great success in Birmingham, 22 gold medals. What are your thoughts on how the media have been treating the Kyle Chalmers situation over there, Cody Simpson and Emma McKeon as well. Are you are you for it or do you do you think they're, they're doing the right thing, the media? Well, I just feel that it is a story, um, uh, the fact that, you know, Kyle Chalmers used to date Emma McKeon and now she's dating Cody Simpson. That That's just... It's an intriguing situation. And on the pool deck in the mixed relay when they won a gold medal... Uh, I was told that, yeah, there, there was, was an interesting reaction from Kyle and there wasn't much interaction with Emma. So there's your story. But um, swimmers traditionally struggle with negative media because they don't n deal with it on a weekly basis, Paul, like rugby league players, who get sort of used to the ref, rough and tumble of it. Today's big controversy is, is tomorrow's non-story, then you play again on the weekend and it's all forgotten. And rugby league players just sort of roll with it, whereas the swimmers are invisible for about two or three years and then are absolute superstars for a week and a half. And, um, you know, it, it, it's... Uh, Kyle Chambers is an interesting one. I, I think he's got a love-hate relationship with the media in that, you know, he posts on his Instagram the big stories about him and everything, 
but he loathes it when there's suggestions about um, the relationship issues and that. So it's a complex one, but uh, it's certainly created some debate, hasn't it? Yeah, well, I'm over it. Uh, and I don't know whether whether the media are going to drop off because everybody loves one of those spicy stories. You know, the, the love triangle seems to feature in every time, every time there's a headline written about uh, one, one of the three of them. And, and they're just such superstars. I mean, you know, he's an Olympic champion and so is Emma and Cody's the biggest pop star. Like, you couldn't, if you said, pick three people that will create an electric story, they're yeah. the three, aren't they? The biggest stars, apart from Ariane Titmus in, in the team. So, yeah, he, he's he, he's an interesting character, Chalmers, because he's it's sometimes so bulletproof and so assured, yet... You hear him interviewed by Kate Campbell and he can seem very vulnerable as well. But uh, it's been an interesting one, that's for sure. Crash, we saw the third of the Live Golf Tour series uh, played in the States over the weekend. Is is Greg Norman having small victories against the traditional tours or do you think, uh, because we can't see a great deal of it, it's the uh, the PGA and the RNA that are still winning the war? No, he's having small victories. No one's winning the war. That's the thing. The, the PGA are being damaged by all these live signings. And Norman isn't actually, you know, uh, trouncing anybody. He, he signed Bubba Watson the other day. They're in the market for Cameron Smith. And that'll be so interesting because I think that tilts the whole balance of the whole argument if he signs with them. And we won't know about that until the end of the year, I don't think. But he, he, i tell you what he was. He's made progress, Paul. At the start of this year, remember Rory McIlroy said, this live thing will just fold. Who'll join it? No, I mean, you're not going to get guys. Well, they've got a fairly respectable 48-man field joining it and, and will get stronger next year. They're knocking back players, top 20 players that are coming to them. So he is a significant threat. But the key is, Paul, is this. What are the majors going to do? If the majors ban the live players... Well, that, that's a significant victory for the traditional tour. But if they let them stay and let them play, wow, that makes Liv very attractive. Could you just say, I'll just play with Liv and then go to the majors? So yeah, 14 tournaments a year for uh, heaps and heaps of money and then I can still play the majors, yeah? Well, well that's, that's what Norman's done. He's cut the bad parts out of golf for them. They don't like missing the cut. Well, there's no cuts. They don't like playing in 22 cities a year. Well, you only got to play in 10. You know, they give some sign-on fees. They don't like massive weeks on tour, so he's made it 54 holes. So he's tried to make it as as player-friendly as he can. And, and he I have to say, he's done better than I thought he was. Uh, some of the guys that have signed, I did not think would sign with him, like Brooks Kepka and uh, guys like that. And there will be, promise you, there'll be more to come. Good on you, Crash. Always a pleasure to have you on the show each and every Monday. And we always catch up with you intermittently through the week as well. Have fun. We'll catch up soon. Can't wait, guys. See ya.